I consider this. Maybe they're drugging me. Maybe the life I think I'm living is a paranoid delusion, not a hope. I know where I am and who and what day it is. These are the tests and I am sane. Sanity is a valuable possession. I hoard it the way people once hoarded money. I save it so I will have enough when the time comes. everybody welcome to the fourth episode of turn up the volumes my name is tori and i'm evelyn and this is our first episode of march where we are talking about the handmaid's tale Mm. deep breath guys (laughs) (laughs) it's dense get ready it is dense very different from last month's book the great gatsby written in a completely different time And just, honestly, content warning. This is a very nitty-gritty book. It's a dystopian book, and it deals with a lot of very dense, dark themes. So just warning you guys ahead of time, uh, buckle up. Um, If you're a child, probably don't listen to this podcast. (laughs) Um, I also didn't realize how not mom-friendly this book is. I know. So moms... You might also not want to follow along, but you are welcome to yeah. do so. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's just a, 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 a content warning for you guys. It's, I'd say PG-13, you know? Yeah. At least what we'll be discussing is. Yeah. At most. So, we will not be diving into all the stuff that's in this book. So, right. just a little warning for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched Arrested Development. Hmm. Have you watched that show? Yeah, I have. Well, most um, of it. Do you know how Job's always like, I've made a huge mistake? Yes. <laughs> That's how I felt uh, reading certain passages of this book and thinking about discussing it over this <laughs> podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, here we I are. feel that so deeply. <laughs> So, a little explanation, guys. So, when I first read this book, I was a freshman in college, and I read it of my own volition. And I enjoyed it back then. Like, I thought it was, like, kind of an odd book, but I was also really into dystopian fiction at that point. And, I don't know. I also read it, like, in a day, which I I don't know how I did that. (laughs) Because, like, this time reading it, I, like, read, like, a chapter, like, a day. And it was a struggle. (laughs) Yeah. So, I... If you guys read this with us, thank you for sticking with us. This is a really, really, really hard book for me to get through and for Evelyn to get through. So, yeah, yeah, we picked this unknowingly, sort of, um, of how dense it would be. Mm. So... Quite yeah. toss from uh, The Great Gatsby. Uh, I think it's definitely uh, not in the same category as far as um, denseness, length, <laughs> uh, even just, you know, I think with The Handmaid's Tale, one thing that gets a little bit confusing is the jumping around of the timeline so often yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that it's a little bit, it just kind of throws you around for a ride. Yeah, definitely. I felt very mentally exhausted reading this book. Like, it is a brain workout for sure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, yeah. But anyway, 
let's kind of get into some stuff. So, um, the hymn means, okay, this is, okay, I'm going to cut this, but I need you to know this. Okay, okay, tell me. <laughs> I have been calling it the Handmaiden's Tale, like, okay. for months. And, and that's, it's the Handmaid's Tale. And I knew that. But I didn't want to correct you because I just wanted you to just do your thing. And yeah. I was like, maybe she's right. Maybe I've been saying it wrong. No, I just added extra letters because I'm a sight reader, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I just needed you to know that. The hand, so if you catch me saying it, correct me, please. Fair maiden. Fair maiden. Yes, I just live in um, medieval times, so. We do, and that's acceptable. But I feel like before we move on, I feel like we should just give a super brief explanation of how we've broken down um, our segments into these two podcasts. Yes. Because they are kind of set up in a interesting little way. Um, Margaret Atwood sections off her book, and also within those sections usually are a handful of chapters. And so when we said read the first eight chapters i think we said sections i'm not sure but Mm. that is what we were talking about where we read the first half of the novel which is eight sections uh and then we've broken down the chapters in those sections and we'll be just kind of talking a little bit about what went on in those first eight sections today yeah yeah definitely very important if you only read the first eight chapters i am so sorry there are spoilers (laughs) many many spoilers (laughs) yes so If you haven't read through chapter 23, stop the podcast right now, go finish reading that all in one sitting, obviously, and then come back and finish the podcast. It'll all be fresh in your mind. It's the best listening experience, guys. (laughs) So true. So true. Okay. So, a little bit of just housekeeping about the book and some background. So, obviously, Margaret Atwood is the author. It was published in... 1985. My copy was published in 1986, but I think the original uh, copy was 1985. And it is a dystopian novel, it is a satirical novel, and it takes place in a dystopian New England, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) It definitely is very, uh, very interesting. You know what? I I must have missed the part where this was written in the 80s, but it makes so much more sense now. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the way that Margaret Atwood uh, was describing things and kind of where things are frozen in time in this dystopian reality for them, it makes mm-hmm. a lot more sense. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of coming... I thought that was very important, too, because I thought this book was written like kind of like in the 90s, but I think it's because yeah. it became more relevant again now um, yeah. is why I thought that. Um but, yeah, so it was written in the 80s, early 80s, and it was published in the mid-80s. Um, and this book was a reaction to everything that was happening politically, religiously, and um, socially, with all the different trends in the U.S. in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and Atwood actually claims that this book was based on events from our actual history in the world. Um, and I had a quote from her in an interview uh, that said, As with The Handmaid's Tale, I didn't put anything that we haven't already done. We're not already doing, we're seriously trying to do, coupled with trends that are already in progress. So all of those things are real, and therefore the amount of pure invention is close to nil. So everything 
in this book was inspired by something out of history, which I thought was very interesting and kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's times where, like, whoa, she got pretty creative here. Like, where's her mind at? Sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, okay. But, yeah, I can see that, I guess, being based off of more real things that have happened. Does she say, does she give a timeline, or is she just really pulling from all the Pull- past? A lot of things in the past, a lot of, like, total. T- a lot of totalitarian yeah. uh, regimes and stuff. Um, a lot of cults. A lot of um, overly zealous communities. Um, and just some, obviously, t- like, torture stuff. And just really awful things that have happened. In not just America, like, in lots of different cultures. So, yeah. I think if, once you start pulling from all over the world, it's not hard to imagine that this book was written. Um, but yeah, there's some pretty brutal stuff in here that you were like, well, well that will never happen. But like, you know, sometimes it does kind of feel scary that it could. <laughs> right. So, um, but yeah, so she had also explained that The Handmaid's Tale is a response to those who say that the oppressive totalitarian and religious governments that have taken hold in other countries throughout the years that it can't happen here but in this work she tried to show how such a takeover might play out if those ideologies were brought to our society that's interesting yeah so i thought that was very interesting um and actually uh kind of getting a little into the book here that the Republic of Gilead was inspired by early American Puritans, which I thought was very interesting. Right. Now, I've done a lot of reading on the uh, the Puritans, or just even just early settlers in mm-hmm. the, you know, in the colonies, and just there's a lot of interesting things that went down during that time, so mm-hmm. I'll definitely keep my eyes open for little uh, historical tidbits. Yes. And I would also like to point out um, because I'm a Christian, Evelyn's a Christian, um, Margaret Atwood wanted to make it clear in her interviews that she said that she does not consider the people in this novel to be Christian. There's a lot of religious undertones to this book and a lot of scripture, but she does not consider the people in this book to be Christian, which I thought was a very important point to make. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, no, I think it's a good disclaimer because they, in this book, there's a lot of, like, cultish mentality stuff going on, and also using scripture in, like, a twisted way mm-hmm. um, to kind of convince people of certain things or leaving out key passages of scripture to, you know, make their point more, uh, like, kind of hammer their point home more. So it's definitely not, I definitely agree with that, like, they're not Christians. Yeah, so... I, I just want to make that point clear because um, a lot of cults and stuff use scripture to convince people to join their cults, and a lot of people twist scripture uh, to get their points across. So I think she did a really good job with using that because uh, it is a very scary reality we live in that people use scripture to harm people, and I wanted to make sure that that was very clear right off the get-go. So Right. Before we get into the text, do you have any other initial thoughts on the book or anything? Because this is your first time reading it, so. Yeah, I had almost no idea what to expect at all going into this, so it's been pretty interesting. I think one of 
the interesting writing styles that Margaret Atwood uses is just the idea of using her very distinct utopian uh, terms, like as if the reader already understands them, and you don't really uh, fully understand what they mean or grasp their concepts until you read a little further and they start to unravel. And it's kind of, I do uh, enjoy that kind of, uh, like you're pursuing the information almost. Mm -hmm. Like it's not immediately just revealed. She's presenting it like you know it already, and then you just learn as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like that. I I think it's also very different narrator types from mm. our last book we read, The Great Gatsby. Of Nick sort of like took it upon himself in the in The Great Gatsby to like present this story to us as like an author, whereas mm. this is like from in her mind, like her yes. emotions, her feelings, her dreams. Um, so a very different style of narration, which I really appreciated. Um, even if it was a little bit like doing cartwheels and somersaults kind of in my mind, but it was very interesting how that narrator style was so different coming from a different narrator style book right off the bat. So I just really also appreciated that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just, it's, I don't want to say choppy because it definitely is not choppy. It has a, as it has a very nice flow to it, but it, it definitely jilts you around a little bit as far as the the timeline and her stream of consciousness mm-hmm. you know what's triggering these flashbacks and usually there are these super mundane things that trigger the these really deep memories that she's having about her past mm-hmm. and you know you get get a sense of what she's feeling about them and mm-hmm. looking back on them now so yeah anyway that's just my two cents on yeah how it's written and how i'm feeling yeah definitely cool all right are you ready to jump into section one? Let's dive in. I mean, just kind of gives us the, I like I said, she just kind of throws you into it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of being revealed to you as you read. It's this part's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, it, chapter one in section one, which is the only chapter in section one. Every yep. section that I've noticed so far that is labeled night is usually only one chapter, um, which is just something I've noticed. Um, but, so, yeah, so chapter one basically throws you into this flashback immediately um, without you knowing that it's a flashback. <laughs> um, kind of throws you into this really scary situation, this very totalitarian situation of all these women who are sleeping on army cots in a gymnasium, an old school gym. And there's people walking around with cattle prods and leather belts and you're not allowed to speak and uh, just very caged feeling. And it really puts you in a very hard situation right off the bat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. It gives you this jailed sense, uh, which is super uh, ironic because the narrator goes through great lengths to try to convince herself and also the reader that... She's not in this jailed situation that this is something that she believes in and that this is she's been taught that this is some sort of privilege that she's in to look at it like she's serving in the army, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, like, you very quickly get this sense of being in a dystopian world very quickly with people having different names than what they normally would or um, things that used to be are different things now like obviously they're using this old school as a training ground 
the red center, I believe it's called, of um, basically training these women, which we don't know exactly what for yet. Mm. And these, obviously, like, men aren't really, you're not allowed to talk to men or look at men, and men aren't allowed to really talk or look at you. So you obviously, you very quickly are thrown into the situation that it's just very, like, makes your blood kind of curdle a little bit. <laughs> mm. um, it's obviously very different from our society, and it's a very different dystopian world from, say, like, Hunger Games. Like, yeah. Hunger Games makes you feel, like, upset, but, like, not in, like, this, like, very, like, like, you're still allowed to talk to your friends, you're still with your family, you still have your kids, you still have, you know, you eat food at your table, like, around, like, a fire. Like, very, a very, like, this is yeah. very clinical. Right. I and, totally agree uh, with you. Yeah, it just makes yeah. me, like, cringe. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it is, I mean, at this Red Center now, they're taught that, you know, there's really no speaking permitted, they have to, the girls start to learn to read lips, so they can kind of whisper back and forth to each other. They're allowed to walk twice a day around a football field. Like, it, it's all business. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the, the leaders of the center, Aunt, uh, Aunt Sarah and Aunt Elizabeth, yeah. who kind of run the center. And are, like, portrayed as these, like, older ladies who feel very passionate about this mm. um, whole situation. So... Yeah. So that's kind of what chapter one is in section one. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a lot, but it also is a lot, so. (laughs) Right. Um, but these are just one of many flashbacks that, uh, we see throughout the story in this specific, um, center, so. Mm -hmm. Anyway. No, and then section two is a little bit longer. Uh, Yeah. But it goes over a lot, and I think that the most... The most interesting part that stood out to me was the the immediate description of this room that belongs to the narrator. Yes. It's basically that it's suicide proof. <laughs> so we yeah. already know that, okay, apparently there has there have been issues mm-hmm. in the past. They don't explicitly say that, but this room is made, like, very, very suicide proof. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't even have real glass. Yeah. Um, the windows can't even really open all the way. Mm-hmm. And one thing about the narrator is that she refuses to call this room hers. Right. And I was just curious if you had any thoughts on why that is. Um, well, I think kind of looking kind of more ahead in the book, where you kind of find out more about mm. the handmaids, is that they kind of shift from home to home. Um, Yeah. Almost like a servant would. Uh, If they had done their duty, they would move to another home. Uh, So I think she was trying not to refer to it as her room because one, she knows it's not going to be her room permanently, Uh, especially if she fulfills her duties in the household, then she will move to another posting. But I also think that she's still struggling with the idea of her old life, um... And it's not, this isn't her real life, you know? Like, it's real, but it's not what, you know... Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to identify herself with that. Right. No, I agree. And then we go into how they dress. I mean, the handmaids dress in a very um, particular way. You know, their long, long red dresses and their mm-hmm. um, white wings, of, like the headdress and everything. Mm-hmm. 
It's like almost uh, like an old school like nurse's cap, you yeah. know, but like folded down instead of like upwards. Right. It's kind of how I saw point, it. We still don't even know what handmaids do. No. Yeah, it's all very vague. Right. Yeah, we literally don't learn about it till like chap like chapter I think like, it comes up in that chapter, but it's not till like the end of chapter two that we start to have yeah. like, an inkling of like what a handmaid's job is. Right. When they have you know, you're kind of introduced to uh, you know, the Marthas and the wives and the Marthas are the servants of the house and Rita and Cora are both Marthas mm-hmm. and we see between like some of the interaction between Rita, Cora and our narrator we tell that, okay, there's some discomfort. They're not really supposed to have a relationship with each mm-hmm. other or, like, intermingle like that. Right. You know, Rita doesn't like the narrator. We definitely pick up on that. And we pick up, you know, because she doesn't agree with the handmaid's job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we discover what the handmaids actually do. And do you want to, like... Chill? Yeah, I can talk about that a little bit. So, um, basically... Um, what we have kind of learned throughout this book, and this is kind of a little spoiler, but if you already listened to this podcast, you obviously it's been spoiled anyway. But basically, th- through this book, we've learned that there's been a decline in birth rates over the years due to toxic stuff in the air and radiation and stuff, but also with abortions and just things. Um, a very feminist culture booming in the 70s and 80s, obviously. Uh, influence this but um basically the society in order to um save themselves from extinction has chosen to make sure that uh procreation is one of the main factors of the society and that call kind of all stems around that so the handmaid's job is to basically be a womb that is for people who don't have children basically a surrogate and so a lot of couples that who are older and stuff who don't have kids they basically go from house to house and are there until they get pregnant and um they then birth a child and one out of four chance that it is a healthy child um and not an unbaby so it's a very uh hard topic and a very um scary topic and a very scary thing that that feels like it doesn't feel like near to happening but it feels kind of just scary to think about it happening in our society and stuff so but yeah it's all very it's all very um everyone has their very distinct roles and they're not allowed to intermingle (laughs) right yeah like you said it's very um i think it's very rigid like the mm-hmm. rules are in place. Everybody kind of knows what they're up to, what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the narrator makes it very clear that people are watching. Mm-hmm. You know, if you slip up, people are watching. And that it could be a test. Um, yeah. We see that... I mean, there's a whole lot of... Nothing's really the norm. Like, nothing's normal it, from what we're used to. It's all very different. Like, even she, the narrator's getting ready to go on this shopping trip um, for the things that the kitchen needs. And even the currency is, like, I think they're tokens with, like, literal images mm-hmm. of what they're able to purchase with that. So, like, cheese, eggs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not words, though, because they're not even really allowed to read. Right. Only men are allowed to read. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, ah, uh, this podcast would be done. Absolutely done. Right. We wouldn't even exist. No. Man. Scary world, guys. <laughs> right. Reading is just such a, it's such a highlight of my life. Yeah. Not this book, though. No. 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 Not a highlight. <laughs> it's a low point. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love this book. This book is so great, guys. Read it. Incredible. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Do you want to, chapter three. Yes, chapter three. So we're introduced to the um, commander's wife. So the commander and his wife are um, the house that our narrator is posted at. The wife is... Uh, it seems older. Uh, we're not really sure how old she is, um, but she has a cane, uh, and she knits really well, which I also knit, so, like, that's not an age thing, but, like, <laughs> you know, but it is also, like, a lot of older people knit, too, so it keeps your hands active and stuff, so. Right. Um, and she's a very skilled knitter, so obviously he's been knitting for some time. Um, she knits for the angels at the front lines who are soldiers fighting in this war we don't really know a lot about. So that's kind of who the commander's wife is, and we don't know a lot about her yet. We learn more about her later. Um, when our narrator first met the wife, she was very indifferent to her, very mm-hmm. um, rude, obviously, and just told her, like, you don't bother me, I won't bother you, just stay out of my sight and we'll be fine. Which, right. like, honestly, if I was, I'd be in the same position, so. Right. <laughs> I don't blame her for that. <laughs> right. She's got her black market cigarettes. It's all good. Yes. Yep. You know, <laughs> cigarettes have been banned for the handmaids. Booze have been banned. And coffee has yes. been banned from the handmaids. Yes. Um, so, I definitely feel for them on the coffee part, at least. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, we learned that the narrator... Um, has been with two previous couples that did not work out. Mm-hmm. So this is her third couple now that she's living with. Um, but we don't really know the backstory on that yet. Um, and we do know that the narrator kind of recognizes the commander's wife. Yes. Like, she yeah. doesn't really know where to place her until finally it comes to her that this woman is Serena Joy, and she was a lead soprano from this TV show, this religious Sunday morning program called Growing Souls Gospel Hour that the narrator used to watch as a child. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously this woman's older now, but she still was able to recognize her face. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was, I wouldn't have been able to pull that, like, you know, like, because apparently, like, she's a pretty young girl when the show was on. Mm. Um, I would not have been able to place, like, a child to, like, a full adult, like... Yes. Especially when I hadn't seen TV in so long. Yes. And especially because we learned that the narrator has, like, chunks of memory that she just can't remember, and you're like, mm, wow, that's pretty good for, like, remembering back in your childhood. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's chapter three. Chapter four, we meet a few more characters, learn a little bit more. Um, we meet Nick, who is a guardian of the faith. Uh, he works for the household. He is, we see him washing the car. 
um, that the commander owns, and he breaks a rule. Yeah, this was very sketchy of him. Yes. He, oh man, he winked. (laughs) He winked. What even? Guys, this punishable by death. (laughs) Incredible. Um, but our narrator ignores this because he might be an eye, which is basically just, um, a spy that is assigned to test her to see if she's truly living out, um, these guidelines that have been set up for the society. Um, Mm. so she doesn't give him the time of day, uh, which I think is funny. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so then we also meet of Glenn, of Glenn. Oh, yeah, of Glenn. Um who is our narrator's shopping buddy. They have to travel in pairs when they leave the property. Yes. So strange conversations. Yes. Praise be. be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. And they all have to have, like, their specific, like, everybody has their, all these, like, not, like, codes, but, like, if you don't have the appropriate, like, response to, like, something... Like, you know, like, uh, peace be with you and also with you. Like, if you don't have, like, the correct thing, like, they would yeah. question your loyalty to the society. So it's, right. like, very important that you, like, learn all these specific sayings and phrases and responses or you could be sent to the colonies. Yes, and that sounds like a very negative thing, a place that you do not want to go. And I'm kind of curious because... Apparently, they're kind of like in Massachusetts, and when I think mm. of the colonies, I'm thinking mm. of um, the first 13 colonies, including yeah. Massachusetts. So, right. I know. I don't uh, really I know where the colonies are supposed to be. I'm assuming, like, the south. Interesting. Uh, that's what I'm assuming. I haven't researched it too much what the colonies actually are, and I have no reason to think that. Um, but if I was... And I have lived in the North, and if I was thinking, being my hoity-toity, like, rich Massachusetts self in this book, like, I would think the South, you know, looking from that perspective, if that makes sense. With all the unwomen. Yes. (laughs) So we'll learn more about them later, but you you don't want to be there. No. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, We learn a little bit about more the, about the war against like different religious groups um they talk about a group of baptists who had been defeated by the angels um so you learned a little bit more about that um we also are introduced to the guardians who are basically mm-hmm. just police um right. who uh do, like, they're just a police force who do menial labor, um, basically anybody who's either too old or too young or just can't be in the army or an angel, so they kind of handle the day-to-day tasks of keeping everybody safe at home. Um, so yeah, we meet them at a gate, at a checkpoint. Offred flirts with them with her eyes. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Especially since Nick just winked at her and she's like i can't do that but i'm gonna blatantly flirt with these people who could get me in trouble (laughs) right (laughs) but these 
these women are and and men are so starved for any sort of physical contact or any sort of flirtation or anything yeah, that any intimacy. any intimacy that that just flirting with your eyes was enough to get you in trouble and was enough to get you by like <laughs> so right. which just tells you what kind of society you're in right. um and another thing too is that these young men they can't even get married um at all until they're assigned a wife or they've been given permission uh and or given a, a handmaid and <laughs> they the only the only help they have is that they'll eventually become a, a, an angel in the army and that's how they'll get a wife um right and that's their only hope <laughs> Yeah, that is their only hope. I, yeah. You know, I think that just this little, uh, this little rebellion that Alfred has is uh, very telling of her personality. And there's little things throughout this first half of the book that just shows that she's got a little bit of spark and a little bit of um, defiance in her of either mm-hmm. the system or maybe not necessarily bowing down to her reality 100%. You know, right. I mean, she's willing to to risk a few things. Yeah, definitely. And this also um, first marks the time in the book where the the term handmaid is used in reference to their position. Um, so I just thought that was significant. Yeah. That we don't even learn that until chapter four. So. Um. So yeah, we also learn in chapter five about the Republic of Gilead. Um, and our narrator remembers before Gilead, so this is obviously started in her lifetime. Um, this is a time when women weren't protected. They, uh, had to, you know, ignore men calling to them on the street. They had to always have their locks, you know, their doors locked. And, um, basically the society we live in now, <laughs> right, right. um, as a woman, as two women speaking, uh, we, I read that and I was said, yeah, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> um, and she remembers that, uh, Aunt Lydia talking about, um, that more than one kind of freedom exists and in the days of anarchy or, you know, how society is now, it was the freedom to, so like we had the freedom to do things, um, and now they're li- they're being given freedom from those horrible things. So a very small but significant distinction mm-hmm. of the difference of freedoms that they have. Um, right. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but also, as Evelyn mentioned before, uh, the women are not allowed to read. So all the shops don't even have uh, shop names. It's just the, the sign of, of <laughs> the what's images. there. Yeah. Uh, cause this, having words would be too provocative, so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, very... yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, do you have something to say? No, just, I was gonna talk about the, uh, the fact that we're kind of now getting a little glimpse of, um, interaction between mm. other handmaids and yeah. with them being in public at the store and, um one of these handmaids ends up coming in and she is very pregnant off Warren, right? And 
she's mm-hmm. very very pregnant with child i mean and that's supposed to be a very big like success she wants to show it off at least that's the vibe that our narrator is getting mm-hmm. and i you know people would look at her with envy because she has set out and accomplished what she needed to do yeah definitely and i think that uh, our narrator mentions that this that um of warren didn't have to leave the house like she didn't need to go shopping she didn't need to do her chores like she chose to because she wanted to show off this great thing of pride uh because it's it's hard often in their uh position to uh get pregnant um which is their duty in this book so it was a great thing of pride Mm. for of warren and also our narrator has recognized her as this woman named Janine, who she knows from the Red Center. Right. Um, but now she's called Of Warren, because when you are a handmaiden, your name is changed to of whoever your um, male household head is. So, like, we have Of Warren, we have um, Of Glenn, and, um, yeah. And then our narrator's right. name is... Um, of Fred, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's kind of the, why their names change. So she's like, her name is now this, and it could be something else, you know, later down the road. But right now it's of Warren, so. So we learned a little bit more about our narrator's past. Mm. She had a husband, Luke, and their daughter, who we, we don't know the name of her daughter, just that she was small and little. Um... <laughs> And, um, she remember she gets this memory because at grocery shopping, she remembers how, and I, a lot of us do this, I do this, keeps all the plastic bags from shopping and kind of stores them, like, hopes you'll either do something or recycle them or whatever. And her husband, Luke, gets, like, annoyed and aggravated because he's worried that their daughter will, like, put a plastic bag over her head and suffocate (laughs) on it. And, um, our narrator's like, oh my gosh, like... I feel so guilty and careless and um, whatnot. And that's just like a very small flashback that we get from her previous life. But this is the first time I think we've heard mention of her husband, Luke, from her previous life. Um, So, yeah, she gets these like very fast glimpses of her past life that are very like violently thrust in our face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And you're just kind of left to put the pieces together mm-hmm. until it finally makes a whole image. You're like, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about the tourists? Yes, yes. So, the two girls are headed back, and uh, they come across a group of Japanese tourists. So, the way that they're dressed is, you know... It's clearly, provocative. It's very provocative comparatively to the Amish red dresses that these handmaids are wearing. Mm. Okay. So the tourists ask the girls if they can take photos with them or of them, and the girls don't allow it. I mean, these, for all they know, the tourists could be, you know, the eyes, and, you know, they could get in trouble. But the tourists ask them if they're happy, and... Um, after this awkward moment of silence, because clearly the other girl is not going to say anything, our narrator just says yes. Mm-hmm. They're very happy. Yes, very mm-hmm. So happy. Under his eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, obviously they're not happy, but like, 
you know, they're not getting murdered or raped, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So that they've got to be happy, right? Right. Because they're safe. They're safe now. Yeah. Safe. 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 To kind of wrap up this shopping section, uh, we have one more chapter, chapter six, um, where we kind of get a little bit of our surroundings. They... So Ogland suggests that they take the long way home and they mm-hmm. pass by this church and she like starts like s- she speak a prayer I think or like sings a song or something um she's doing something where she's like obviously like feels some connection to a church mm-hmm. um and it's this old puritan church from the colonial era the colonial era um, that's now been kept as a museum, um, even though all these other religions aren't really allowed. It's kind of stood as a monument of the olden times. Um, right. And then kind of near there, um, yes. there's a... Huh? <laughs> yeah. This part. Uh, not quite there, but yes. <laughs> Get in there. Uh, there's a boathouse, there's old dormitories, a football stadium, um, and these red brick sidewalks, and the author, Margaret Atwood, kind of implies that this is the campus of Harvard University, which really puts us in a location, which I thought was very interesting. So I was like, this sounds familiar. Right, right. <laughs> I'm getting Gilmore Girls vibes, but like, twisted. <laughs> um, but, so that's kind of puts us in location. And then right across the street from this church sits the wall, which isn't capital because it's important. Um, so there's the wall, and that's where the authorities have hung bodies of, of criminals who are executed, and they are supposed to be examples to the rest of the, uh, republic, uh, and all their heads are covered with bags, um, but there seems to be a red smile that looks like it's painted on one of the bags because the blood is kind of seeped out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but there are six bodies and, um, there are signs on each of their necks that have fetuses on them because obviously you can't read. So, um, and that's to show that they, before anything happened with the Republic, that before that they were, um, doctors who performed abortions, Mm -hmm. uh, which is now illegal because every, uh, fetus is important in this because of their declining society and declining birth rates. Um, And our narrator is very relieved that um, the, none of these bodies are her husband's her past life, Luke, because it's not a doctor. So she just kind of like stares at the bodies until like, oh, Glenn's ready to go. (laughs) Right. She's like, um, let's go. Yeah, let's, like, get out of here. Let's yeet. Let's skirt, skirt. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see what things trigger her memories of her husband or even, you know, letting herself wonder or worry about him. You know, is he out there? Is he alive? I mean, we see that a little bit later on, too, but she really does. Yeah, definitely. So we jump into section three, which is, again, just one chapter, chapter seven, uh, and we get another glimpse of our narrator's past life, where we learn of her friend Moira, 
who's kind of very important to the story. She kind of is weaved in through. She's a very feminist mm-hmm. woman. She's very aggressive. She's very um, just into what's going on. And we also learn that um, our narrator's mother was also very feminist, very um, a powerhouse woman. Um, and we also learn that our narrator's daughter was taken away from her when all of this started because she was declared unfit. Um, and they took her away and she hasn't seen her since. Right. It's um, been three years. Yes. <laughs> um, and she also imagines, like, her imagination as she like remembers these things that she's telling a story to someone but that she can't write it down she's just telling it because she's not allowed to write um and that's just basically section three is just kind of a lot of remembering stuff of her past life trying to get it out to the uh reader so right and we're just kind of we're still piecing a lot of this together i'm i'm guessing Mm -hmm. most of it's going to come together in the last half of the book just because there's so much going on and so many flashbacks yeah, definitely. Um, so, chapter eight, we just dive right in. Um, <laughs> they, so, um, we again see this wall coming back into play. There's more mm-hmm. dead men hanging for other crimes of the time. Um, moving from there, they go to this funeral where we have the first encounter with Econo wives, who clearly do not like handmaids. Mm. That is something we learn here. Uh, but these econo wives are just wives of what was it just the poor? Um, who are yeah. the wives of poor, 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 poor? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just part. just poor men. Just poor men. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So the econo wives are just wives of poor men, uh, and they are at this funeral and they're carrying black jars with unbabies, so <laughs> dead babies. Yeah. Um, so it's clearly a very sad time, and the handmaids try to act sympathetic, but the Econo wives just don't like them at all. We don't really know why. Um, but I don't really know exactly why that was there yet. Do you? What? Like? Just that whole part. Because, I mean, kind of from there, we just jump back. She's back at the house, and Nick breaks protocol again. Yeah, I think it was just kind of happening on their way home from another shopping trip. Um... And it's just something that they saw, and I think it was just kind of to place that, again, like, showing more and more of the society to us slowly, of, like, how much they do care about if a baby dies and that kind of stuff. Like, they have a funeral for either a miscarriage or an unbaby. Like, it is going to happen because it's something lost. Like, this Um, child has inherent value. Yes. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Um, so... She gets back home from her trip out, and we have Nick again, okay? And he breaks protocol again by speaking to our narrator, asking her how her walk went. Mm-hmm. Very risque. Yes. And right? she just, just skirts away. <laughs> Ignores him again. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is so funny, because she'll flirt with these, these guardians, but then, like, this boy who's trying to flirt with her, she's like, no. <laughs> Too risky. Right. right. It's, it's strange. And then she goes upstairs to her room, which, mm-hmm. by the way, she calls her room for the first time. Um, and I think we should just kind of ask ourselves why. Uh, but before she goes into her room, she notices the commander 
outside her room where he's not supposed to be and he mm. just kind of scurries off yes so that's a bizarre happening that we don't quite understand yet yeah definitely. Um, that's why she calls it her room she refers to this space as her room mm-hmm. and do you have any idea why like i do you f- i feel like she's either i mean that's her claiming this space as her own and almost some sort of consistency right i feel like it's kind of um like we learn later that like the drawing room or like the sitting room is like unofficially the wife's room like it's her territory so i think when the commander kind of was near her room she kind of felt this like well that's my you're not supposed to be here that's my space so like i don't feel like she still feels like it's her room but you know like when somebody like touches something that's your like that's like not really yours but like kind of yours and then like suddenly you feel like this like sense of loyalty to it you're like well don't that's mine like you know so i feel like it's kind of that like it's like, well, you're not supposed to be in my room. Like, please don't be here. <laughs> right. No, I, like, the leftovers that you brought home from that restaurant. And yes. You don't really intend on eating them, but then when you find out that your brother has already eaten them, you're like, what the heck? Those were mine. Yes. Yeah. So, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. I also, uh, I think it's also important to note in this chapter that um, Serena Joy, who's the wife of the commander, also... Um, after her singing career, she became a a spokesperson for respecting the sanctity of home and for women being at home instead of working. Um, even though she doesn't really stay at home, she's always out giving speeches and such. Uh, so she wasn't really practicing what she preached. Um, but yeah, so that also I think was important because she kind of pushed the society, but now she's not really a part of it anymore. So, right. Um, so that's chapter eight, chapter nine. We learn a little bit more about Luke and our narrator and how she was kind of the other woman. Uh, And her and Luke used to meet up in hotel rooms and then when they're going through divorce and stuff and how kind of rocky that was for their relationship. Um, But even still that they had their problems, that they did have their happy moments, obviously, because they were married and stuff. They got married. They loved each other and have to do that. Um... But, um, she kind of looks back on that time, and even though it was, like, wrought with problems, that it, she felt happier then than she does now. Mm. Um, and then they, we also learn a little bit about the woman who lived in the room before her, um, and kind of thinks that it might be someone who, like, her friend Moira... Uh, who's kind of spunky and lively, and um, she asks Rita in the kitchen, asking um, if, you know, about the one with the freckle, the lively one with the freckles, and Rita's like, well, how do you know about her? And doesn't tell our narrator anything, and um, just said that it it didn't work out, which I was like, (laughs) Right. Sketch. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a story there. Mm-hmm. Which we still haven't learned about, so. <laughs> right. But, um, and then chapter 10 is br- very brief as well. Um, we learn that music is also forbidden, and there's not much of it in the commander's home. Uh, sometimes we hear the wife kind of humming to or listening to some records of herself singing, uh, which I was like, love that for her. Um, <laughs> right. 
And then uh, we also learned that um, back at the Red Center that Aunt Lenny would say how, like, all these terrible things would happen to women in the olden days before the Republic of Gilead when, like, they would be sunbathing in bathing suits and how terrible and that's what caused all these terrible things to happen to women and victim blaming all over the place so (laughs) but i also love how she just like in this moment recalls moira and how she threw an under whore party i know (laughs) i was like wow just the energy (laughs) right right you get a glimpse of who moira really is yes definitely (laughs) um yeah so chapter 11 (laughs) yes yeah this was a pretty interesting chapter um so we Uh start off and you know our narrator is going to the doctor as she does every month for uh check up check if she's pregnant check if she's diseased um the huge Mm -hmm. and you know it's all very like protocol as usual the doctor does can't see her face like it's all set up in such a way where it's like the most modest as possible for um the narrator and (laughs) there's just a little interesting thing that happens um after he wraps up his exam Mm -hmm. and he basically uh offers her sex to impregnate her and she declines but the thing is is that she feels scared that he might retaliate and mark her papers that she's actually diseased when she's not so that she'd be sent away to the colonies with the Mm -hmm. unwomen so it's a very sticky situation here yes definitely and like also like when he uses the word sterile like it's like kind of illegal to say like there's men aren't allowed to be sterile like how dare you assume that a man would be sterile there were only barren and fruitful women like (laughs) right just like (laughs) um but yeah but he could like definitely like send her away like and she like kind of like tries to like make it so like she's like not this time maybe another like you know like she's not like trying to like give it one way or another because she doesn't want to be accused of anything which I was like, right. ah. <laughs> yeah. the stress. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot to take in there. Yeah, that whole chapter just was icky. Yeah. In general. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Chapter 12, uh, our narrator's taking a bath and um, just kind of reminiscing about... Um, and remembering some things from her old life and uh, the Red Center. She remembers a time when a woman tried to kidnap her daughter in the supermarket from her old life. And, like, kind of went crazy and claiming the child was hers. And her daughter was screaming and crying and all these different things. Um, and we learned that her daughter was five. And now three years have passed since then. So we know this Republic has at least started in the last three years. Um very quickly <laughs> to get to this point. Um, and then it also mentions that Aunt Lydia back in the Red Center said that women should not get attached to things because, and uh, they should not get attached to things and should cultivate poverty of spirit. Um, and and she also cites the uh, line from the Bible that uh, blessed are the meek, but she does not finish that sentence and say for they shall inherit the earth it's just blessed are the meek 
Um, <laughs> um, and then we also learn a little bit more about just like the random things, like uh, handmaids are not allowed to keep uneaten food, and they're also like not allowed to like have any beauty products, any lotion, and like the wives like specifically requested that when they're building the society that like don't let them be prettier than us. So she hides like this piece of butter for her bread in her shoe so she can use it on her face later. <laughs> I love how she describes that she walks around smelling like old cheese. Yes. But, <laughs> but at least her <laughs> skin is fine. <laughs> I was like, I can't even imagine putting butter on my skin. The thought just grosses me out so much. Yeah, it sounds pretty icky. Yeah. But um, one thing that I think is worth mentioning from that chapter is that she often thinks of her child as a ghost, mm. uh, which is pretty interesting because it's like, you know, maybe it's just easier that way. She even says it's easier that way because, you know, instead of knowing that your child is out there alive without you with some other family, it's right. easier to remember her as a ghost. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let me get into section five, nap, uh, which is chapters thir- just chapter 13 in there. Um... And we learn about uh, three weeks after our narrator gets to the Red Center, uh, her friend Moira is brought there in full Moira fashion. Uh, and they don't want to let anyone know that they're friends because that could be suspicious. So they meet in the bathroom to, like, talk about, like, what's going on and mm. uh, whatnot. And then they also, um, we are, we are interested in the idea of testifying about their lives and kind of, like, confessing things that happened to them. Um, And we hear that Janine was gang-raped at 14, and all the aunts ask, like, whose fault was that? And the handmaids, like, are like, well, it's her fault, her fault, it has to be her fault. Like, they're chanting at her, and it's, like, a very emotional uh, moment and very scary and... Uh, traumatizing moment and Janine is like sobbing and they call her a crybaby and uh (laughs) it's like I read that and I was so I was so upset for Janine and like I'm not a fan of Janine but like I felt that moment like so deeply I was like that hurts (laughs) right oh that's bizarre yeah it definitely has that uh cultish vibe to it there yes the chanting (laughs) yes tipped us off yeah um and then our narrator also uh, talks about how her body's nothing more than a uterus anymore and how she hates uh, menstruating because it means that she's failed to conceive and she's failed to uh, complete her task uh, in her posting and that her only function is childbearing, um, which... Made me so sad to think about living in that sort of society. Like, there are some people out there that think that in our real world, and that thought scares me. (laughs) Yeah. Deeply. (laughs) Yeah. So, I am more than a uterus. Anyway. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have a personality and dreams. Anyway. That's just me. They're like, not in this book. Not in this book. In this book, I am a uterus. Not even a person. I'm just... Make a baby. I guess. <laughs> like, stop talking. <laughs> this child. Yes. Um, also, don't moisturize. Don't moisturize at all. <laughs> um, 
we also learn a little bit more that it seems like uh, our narrator tried to escape this fate that has befallen her, and she remembers uh, hearing shots and that her her daughter slowed her down because they had uh, drugged her because they didn't want her to lie and they didn't want her to freak out when guards questioned them. And um, she remembers her daughter getting taken from her and her being restrained. Very traumatizing moment, uh, but again, very small glimpses into her past. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, it was pretty traumatic, yeah. clearly. Yes. Yeah. Especially since she's kind of blocked this out and now she's, like, slowly remembering it. She's kind of reliving her trauma again. Um, so, yeah. Uh, then we have section six. Household. <laughs> The section six. lovely section six. <laughs> I hate Ooh, this whole section. section. This section ramped us up. I said we loved section six. Yeah, it's my favorite section. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so basically this whole section covers the ceremony and the lead up to the ceremony um, that happens. Oh, for sex. Code for sex, very, like, specifically. Um, <laughs> it's like, the whole house has to go, and they all have to, like, listen to the commander read um, the the passage in the Bible about Rachel and Leah, and um, Rachel being barren, and, have, and asking uh, her husband, um, Jake. Jacob, <laughs> to look at me remembering my Bible. Jacob, I went to Bible college. Um, <laughs> she uh, had makes her husband uh, lay with her maid um, to have a child by her, and that's basically where this whole idea stems from. Is this misinterpretation of uh, a passage in Genesis? So honestly, it's not yeah. even a misinterpretation. It's just a uh, they didn't read further where God's <laughs> like, um, that since you have sinned that you're literally gonna be judged and punished, but that's not what I meant. Yeah, I, it's I yeah. did not say <laughs> so They literally just didn't read the context. They said, Ooh, this works for us. <laughs> yeah. So they read that passage before every ceremony, and the Beatitudes are also played uh, for uh, the women at the Red Center every day at lunch. Um, so that's what we kind of learn about the beginning of the ceremony, and then after they pray, and after the Bible's read to them, uh, they go to the bedroom, and the... <laughs> and the... Um, so, kind of weird, gross, but... Yeah, anyway, it's just a very interesting situation of the wife, like, lays in the bed and then, like, holds uh, our narrator. So, like, they're kind of, like, one. Like, they're, like, kind of laying on top of each other while uh, the commander's, like, having sex, trying to impregnate uh, our narrator. And it's very just clinical. Like, there's just, like, they're, like, it's just what it is. Like, it's just everyone's there and it's awkward and quiet and like when it's done everybody just leaves like <laughs> right just very uh it awkward is. so awkward. yeah um 
and then uh, our narrator's supposed to, like, lay with her, like, legs up for ten minutes, um, but, like, the wife kicks her out. She just doesn't even want to look at her. She's like, just leave. I just, you need to get out. (laughs) So, um, that's the ceremony. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that's when Offred goes back to her bed. She can't sleep. She's put butter on her face, and, um, she decides to do something rebellious. Do you want to talk about her rebellion, Evelyn? Um, yeah. So, this is a little bit interesting here, where she feels the need to do something absolutely just scandalous. Mm. And she sneaks out of her room (laughs) and goes down into the, what was the room called that she's going into? Oh, um, Hold on. I want to find it um, so I can redo this part. So our narrator, when she's finally alone in her room, she starts to decide that like she uh, she wants to steal something. Mm. She's feeling very rebellious, uh, very risky tonight. And so she sneaks downstairs and decides to take a daffodil. Okay, she t- it's like a daffodil, a flower, whatever. Mm-hmm. She decides she's going to steal a flower. I think necessarily i guess she was looking for something that wouldn't be missed right um which is not really that wild but anyway to her this is wild and uh so she wants to leave it behind in her room for the next handmaid to discover um (laughs) so as she's in the sitting room she just like feels the presence of another person there and of course surprise it's nick and i don't think we mentioned this but before the ceremony when they were all together and reading yeah he kept like touching her foot with his foot classic kept moving away (laughs) yeah and uh they kiss right now they kiss yeah and uh there's a little bit more uh kind of what goes on in her head she definitely has been starved for physical touch mm-hmm. um even though last the night i mean i just feel a little sketchy t- t- saying what i'm about to say but she just literally had sex with the commander but it was not any sort of intimacy like the yeah. way that it's described it was not physical it was not intimate it was not yeah like he uh, wouldn't even touch her yeah like right. he like would kept his hands like away from her like as like impersonal as possible so she like longs to have intimacy with somebody right and so when nick kisses her she's like this is what i've been craving Mm -hmm. uh and so (laughs) they both know that anything more than a kiss would be just absolutely ridiculous and dangerous so Mm -hmm. that's where that lies and that's where that ends um but he has a message for her that the commander wants to see her in his office, which is just unheard of. It's unheard mm-hmm. of. The so she feels like she can't yeah. talk about it with anybody because that's not permitted. I mean, right. but she's not going to refuse him. Like, that would also be wrong. So mm-hmm. now she's in this weird little situation. Right, yeah. Um... Yeah, so that's definitely chapter 17. A lot of things kind of happening. Um, and then um, we also learn in chapter 18 about um, when our narrator's pregnant and um, with Luke's baby. And also 
Um, she remembers them trying to get away and trying to escape the society in the beginning. And she imagines, like, these three different scenarios at all times of, like, where he is right now because she doesn't know. She doesn't know if he made it to the border. She doesn't know if he's dead. She doesn't know if he's in the prison. Um, So she just kind of believes that um, all of these things could be possible so that if she finds out one thing or another, she won't be surprised by it. Mm. Um, So that kind of wraps up section six. Um, then we have section seven, another night, uh, where we have one chapter, which is a interesting chapter. Um, yeah. Basically, um, we find out that Janine is having her baby, so a birthmobile has come to collect all of the handmaids (laughs) in the area. Huh? Yeah, the birthmobile. I just picture this, like, giant baby, like, you know, like, um, the, like, Oscar Mayer wiener, like, van that, like, is, like, in the shape of hot dog. Like, I just picture that, but it's, like, in the shape of, like, a baby swaddled. (laughs) It's, like, it's, like, a, like, instead of a siren, it's, like, a baby whale. (laughs) Well, when I'm pregnant and about to give birth, I'm gonna send that to you. I'm sending the baby mobile to get you. Perfect. Wherever I am, just send that. Um... But yeah, so they all are required to go to the birth, um, at all the wives, all of the Marthas, all of the handmaids are all required to go. They all have a part to play. So, um, they, this is where we kind of learn about, um, how one in four of babies can have a deformity, um... Or one in four women have been poisoned by these toxins that could lead to birth deformities. And that they could, they used to be able to see this on ultrasounds, but those have been banned now because it doesn't even matter. Because you have, whatever is in your womb, you have to carry to term. Regardless of, of anything. Um, and this is again because of the falling birth rate, uh, over the course of history and eventually falling below the line of replacement. Um, and they also talk about how women who don't want to breed, uh, are looked down upon, they are unwomen, um, and that she also convinced, like, tries to convince the women that, um, childbirth in, that how much, like, more of a positive thing that childbirth is now in contrast to the older days. Um, it's all natural. There's no drugs, um, because they want what's best for the baby and that God wants women to suffer during childbirth. So, um, they all arrive. They notice that, um, our narrator notices that the house is like a little bit bigger. So it must be a higher ranking commander, uh, who owns the house. And they also talk about, um, (laughs) how, like, the, uh, commander's wife of this house probably, like, paraded Janine in front of everybody, almost like a, uh, a prized cow. (laughs) Right. 
of like, you know, like, oh, we feed her this and look how like plump she is. And oh, you picked a good one. Yeah, we've had her for this long and we found nothing in her history and blah, blah, blah. And all these things like talking about her in front of her without giving her any like opinion, like giving her a treat. And then, like, as soon as, like, she leaves, they, like, talk just, like, terribly about her and how awful she is and how, like, just all these terrible things, how unclean they are. And, like, I'm just like, ugh, why? <laughs> it's a lot. The energy is toxic. Um, I, I find myself thinking the wives' roles in everything in this story is absolutely hilarious. Yes. So, first of all, the role that the wife plays during the conception is absolutely ridiculous. And yes. the idea that while off Warren is giving birth, mm-hmm. the wife is literally laying in the sitting room as if she's giving birth. Like, yes. Acting it out. Yes. You know what I mean? And yeah. <laughs> like, this is some big group effort she's in this somehow not yes but definitely pretending to be giving birth yes um it's an interesting little situation that we find ourselves in here yeah it's it's a bit icky yeah it feels uncomfy yeah yeah it's it's not my favorite (laughs) yeah but Um, yeah this whole section um it's just a lot. Everything in here is just a lot. Um, right. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm trying to, like, jump to the birth. Yeah, so basically, the uh, handmaids are... This is one of the times they see a lot of each other, so, like, they try to, like, communicate with each other as carefully right. as they can and be like, are you looking for anybody? Um, like, who are you? What house are you in? Like, what was your real name? And um, while they're chanting to, like... Um, kind of, one, help Janine, like, make sure she's remembering her, like, breathing and push, when to push and, like, those kinds of things. Um, and, but if you get, like, noticed, like, not doing those things, you could get, like, punished. So, like, you have to be very, very, very careful about it. (laughs) Um, and they're all drinking this, like, powdered grape juice that somebody (laughs) spiked. (laughs) So they're all, like, drunk. Which yeah, I was like, drunk and chanting. Yeah, very cultish. Um, very much. But Taking the Kool-Aid. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then when, right before uh, the baby is born, um, the wife of uh, Commander Warren comes in and, like, sits on the birthing stool, like, with her. Oh, weird. Yeah, and, um, uh, she, like, gives birth to a girl, and they're like, oh, well, poor thing, like, but, like, she's fine, so, like, that's great. (laughs) Um, and then the wife, like, goes into the bed. don't you love the wife announces? I know! (laughs) She announces, like, what the baby's name will be. She will be named Angela. Yes, it's like all the wives have come in. And like everybody's like, oh, what a great name. Your baby's so beautiful. Like, and like Janine will be like allowed to nurse the baby. But then after that, she'll be transferred. Um, but they said. Knocked away. Yeah. But they said that now that she has produced a child, that she won't ever 
be declared an unwoman and sent to the colonies. That's like her reward. She still has to live as a handmaid, a handmaid, but she doesn't have to. Um, she doesn't have to live under the fear of being declared an unwoman. So, because she's done her duty. <laughs> that sounds like good news for her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So then we learned a little bit more about Moira, um, learning that she like pulled this like big escape to uh, get out of the center of like basically she overflowed the toilet and then took apart from the toilet when she called uh, Aunt Elizabeth in to help her. She took a piece of that like jabbed into her side and like basically uh, forced her to like give her her robes and stuff and she like gets off the property after she, like, ties up on Elizabeth to, like, some boiler. <laughs> and, like, no one's seen her since. Right. Ugh. The cringe. How, many, how long was she there? She was there for, like, a fairly long time. Like, yeah. Aunt Elizabeth was tied up there for a fairly long time. And, yeah. I mean, I feel bad for her, but good for Moira for escaping. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love the energy. <laughs> Um, right, so which only makes me wonder more, what the heck went down with Moira? Because I'm assuming Moira was the previous handmaid at um, our narrator's place, mm. and I want to believe that. Yes. Uh, and I really, I'd love for that message that was etched into the wall to be left by Moira. That's what I'm yes. looking for. Yes, me too. Um, but I don't know any of that for certain. That's just my prediction. Yeah, I feel that. I really am hoping, or it's going to be, like, a really big disappointment. Either way. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, then uh, our narrator, uh, Fred, gets home. She tells Cora about um, the baby and how, and Cora, like, expresses that she hopes that they might have a child soon, like, their household. <laughs> Which right. I thought was interesting. It's like when they say, like, we're pregnant. It's like, no, I'm pregnant. Like, <laughs> I hate when people say that. Like, okay, no, you both are not pregnant. You both yes. are not pregnant. Right. Definitely are not. You can be um, empathetically pregnant, sympathetically pregnant, but not physically pregnant with yeah. your partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So then, so this is the, obviously the next night from, uh, after, uh, offered his kiss, Nick. And so she goes to meet the commander in his office and she's like really scared that like he's going to like force himself on her. Right. Cause it's sketchy. This is sketchy. This is not acceptable. This is not, people, nobody would be okay with this. This is weird. Yeah, like, she could be sent to the colonies and declared an unwoman if Serena Joy caught her, um, and if she refuses the commander of his physical advances, that there could be even more dire consequences from him, because he has all the power in the household. So just a lot of very scary things, but she can't deny going to the office because she could still have consequences from that. So she has to go. Uh, so a right. lot of power dynamics and power politics at play here. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Alfred goes to the study and she sees, like, all these books. And she hasn't read books in forever. Um, and the commander greets her. And I liked how she said the, the commander greets her in the old way by saying hello. 
right. she doesn't like, know how to reply. Yeah. She like doesn't even remember how to like respond. Um and he asked her how we're all gonna feel coming out of uh coronavirus. Yes. <laughs> like I have no idea how to socially interact anymore. Uh I feel that so strongly. I'm not ready to re enter society. Oh man. Yeah. But um <laughs> Then he asked her to play a game of Scrabble, which, like, of all the games, <laughs> Scrabble. But then I was like, okay, this is back in the 80s. Like, what board games did they have in the 80s, you know? Yeah. Um, can I just read a couple sentences here? Yes, that please. Um, I just want to say, because I've been taking, uh, I use this website called Masterclass, and I've been taking one of um, their classes for writing that Margaret Atwood actually teaches. Mm. And she refers to this book every now and then and just kind of reads little passages or whatnot. And she especially liked this part. Uh, Just the, like, just this, like, deliciousness of um, how naughty the the narrator was by doing this. Even though this is, like, such a, a innocent thing, like, that you would think of, like, playing Scrabble. It was just, that's not bad. That's not what? Right. You know what I mean? But the way it's talked about, she's like, this is freedom, and I blink of it. Limp, I spell. Gorge, what a luxury. The counters are like um, are like candies made of peppermint. Cool like that. Humbugs, those were called. I would like to put them into my mouth. They would taste also of lime. The letter C, crisp, slightly acid on the tongue. Delicious. Just like, mm. it's just such a funny little description of this game. Just how yes. like, incredible this feels to her. Like she's it- doing the most yeah. sinful thing it's representing everything that she hasn't indulged in in years right and it's a very interesting concept of this very basic like it's a board with these little wooden pieces with letters on them and yet <laughs> it's such it's such a powerful statement to let her play right. scrabble with him right but yeah the fact that he is allowing it like he searched her out mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and they play several little... yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> It's a little interesting situation there. I mean, there's a lot of interesting situations in this book. But the yes. fact that, okay, the commander sought her out, which is forbidden. Mm-hmm. He They're together alone in his study, which is forbidden. Now she's playing this game that is involves reading and spelling, forbidden. Um, and then there's this little special moment at the end when they're about to depart where he asks her for a kiss which is extremely forbidden like they're Mm -hmm. not even supposed to be touching really like kissing even though they're like having sex to procreate they're not Mm -hmm. allowed to kiss because that's way too intimate for a um commander and a handmaid yes uh but he still asks yeah and i like that uh she says that she imagines coming to his study again with a piece of metal from the toilet like Moira did and <laughs> killing him. That was and he's just dramatic. like, I just want you to kiss me as if you meant it. And she's like thinking about killing him. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very dark there for a second. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's all the, the chapters wow. that we went through. 23 of them. That was a lot. Yeah. I'd say speed run, but also... <laughs> was yeah that was a marathon guys yeah um one more (laughs) one yeah one more (laughs) one more episode after this yeah um 
But just some themes that uh, I wanted to talk about really quick before we wrap things up. I don't know what themes you picked out of this so far, of just like kind of overarching things. Um, a couple I had uh, looked up was that uh, l- that language ha- is kind mm-hmm. of uh, a powerful thing in this. It's used as a tool to kind of control people. Um, and that's seen through the restricting of reading and music and how every, right. all vocabulary, all vocabulary has pretty much changed to warp the reality that they're in because they wanted to create this completely new society. And even just like, uh, <laughs> these like very like racist terms that are like, they're defined by their biblical terms. Like, um, like Jews are referred to as like sons of Jacob and black people are referred to as children of ham. Uh, (laughs) and yeah. (laughs) Um, and like, they all have these very specific, like we said before, greetings and, uh, ways to talk to people. And if you didn't, you were considered, you were considered disloyal to the society and could be punished for that. And that's just, just the essence of control over everything, (laughs) just down to the little things of language and how powerful that is. Yeah, no, I, I totally picked up on that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that stood out to me was the idea of um, consistency and that there's absolutely none of it right. in the Handmaids. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't even keep their name. Their name changes. Their room is not their own. They move houses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the even the, the person that they're paired with to go out into public changes often. Mm-hmm. And, you know just that idea of not having something consistent to latch onto. I mean, in life, you're searching for that kind of consistency mm-hmm. for some sort of um, normalcy. And, you know, like I said, even the simplicity of having a name, you know, that doesn't change is not there. Right. It's not there at all. And so there's nothing to latch onto, nothing to... I mean, I, I think that it takes away... Um, it throws you off. It yeah. throws you off. It takes away your feeling of security. Even though they think that they're safe, I feel like it takes away this feeling of security or settling or whatever. Mm. There's no consistency at all. Definitely, yeah. And also just, like, with not having, like like you said, like a name that's consistent from place to place. It's just because they don't care because they're not a person to them. They right. are a womb. They are an incubator. And that's all. Right. And they don't talk to them. They don't interact with them. They basically feed them three times a day, make sure they're bathed, have them do some meager work, and then they have the ceremony, and then that's it. That's all that, right. that, that they do. That's all that they are. And, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> very, very scary themes. Uh, very potent throughout the book so far. Right. So... No, it'll be interesting to... We'll be reading the second half, guys. So, I would get a jump on it. It's dense. So you don't have to read it all in one week. Just, yes, you know, parcel it out. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like I read a lot of these chapters, like, as like far as I could. I still feel like I need, like, a day between each one to, like, process <laughs> each chapter or section. So, yes. 
give yourself time. You have you have two weeks, so right. do with that what you will. Um, if you're a weekend reader like Evelyn, <laughs> or me who takes three weeks to read something, start now, regardless. Uh, start you... now. Good plan. <laughs> uh, you won't regret it, because when this episode releases, it will be Friday, so it's the weekend. So, yeah. Right. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, just, you know, just buckle in. It's gonna be a, a bumpy ride, but we are gonna wrap this. I promise. We are gonna wrap this. Well, you're going to like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I sounded convincing. So convincing. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We know it's a little bit rough. Um, This book is definitely heavier than our last book. Uh, If you haven't listened to our last book, go back and listen to episode two and three. We talked about The Great Gatsby. If you need a palate cleanser, go back and listen to The Great Gatsby part one and part two. But definitely, thank you guys so much for coming on this journey with us. If you haven't already started following us on our social media, you can find us at Instagram, uh, at Turn Up the Volumes, on Facebook.com slash Turn Up the Volumes, on Twitter mm-hmm. as at TUTV underscore podcast. And you can also email us at turnupthevolumes at gmail.com with any questions, concerns, book suggestions, just want to get to know us, ask us questions. We would love to interact with you with that. And comment on our Instagram posts, our Facebook posts, give us likes, send our stuff to your friends, share the podcast. Just anything you guys can do to help us uh, get this out there would be so, so appreciated. And we appreciate you guys so much for sticking with us so far. Super, 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 guys. Especially, um, you know, our Instagram is popping. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are just, you know, supporting us and being awesome. And uh, we love the interaction. Uh, But we also love you guys on our other channels. So we haven't forgotten about you. Um, Twitter, Facebook, guys. Um, shout out to you too. You're still special. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And you can also follow us on our personal pages as well. I am at Victoria Diane Bates on Instagram, and Evelyn, you are Evelyn Corbier. There you go. So you can also interact with us on there. We would love to uh, interact with you guys on that platform as well. But you will get the best engagement from us on our main profiles for right. Turn Up the Volumes. So. With that being said, we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.